Ladies, gentlemen, everybody, welcome back to this episode of Big Noises from Media Voices. I'm Chris Upcliffe. And I'm Peter Houston. And this series sees us taking a bit of a break from our normal operation to speak to some of the most exciting and most interesting people in media, letting them challenge some of the assumptions that we all make. So, Peter, who's the guest this week? Shirish Kokani. I met Shirish properly. Um, as in not on some strange Zoom call <laughs> at the News Rewired conference um, last month. I think it was last month. And he was just really, really interesting and properly outspoken on some very key issues that we, we talk about. He he looks at news innovation um, and inclusion. Uh, so, so journalism AI and, and uh, community journalism projects. And he's focused on how he can actually properly use news in a way that serves people that at the moment avoid it and don't mm. see any value in it. Um, his, his big point in that, and we talk about it here, is that if we were in any other industry, the customer is always right. Whereas in media, it's like, oh, audiences what's wrong with them we, we do news they should care they should be paying attention and his point is no you've got to do something he talks about sense making mm. um, you've got to do something that is useful to them that that is you know properly delivering value to them rather than them start thinking oh this isn't about this isn't about me or for me does that differ from solutions journalism or is it just thinking about it in a different way I asked, we talked, I don't know if it's the only interview, but I asked him about that. And it's not just about solutions journalism. It's about inclusion in the sense of it's about, you know, this news is about people like me. Mm. And this news is referenced in a way that I can understand in my context. So it doesn't necessarily have to offer solutions, but it has to offer some kind of use. Some, his big example, actually, in a weird way, was um, one of the biggest stories ever is climate journalism. Mm. And what he says is that media does climate journalism so badly because there's not a press conference that says, oh, my God, the world's burning. We're going to have to do something about this. It's this rolling thing. Mm. And media organizations tend to react. To, he says that's why the COP conferences get covered so hard because there is a bunch of press conferences around it yeah so it's that idea of providing ongoing long-term context which i guess in his well the world that he's working in is not just about oh here's context for business or here's context for white middle class people it's for everyone it's for yeah how does this how does this impact the global south or how does that impact certain communities or whatever so yeah really interesting on our end of things there was there was that fantastic report actually and i think it might have been from the reuters institute that was taking a look at how climate coverage is done differently in every country which i think speaks to exactly that because you know, in a lot of cases, you're talking about COP in some parts of the global south where they're already seeing so much of the impact and, you know, everything to do with both droughts and, you know, climate change actually shifting how agriculture works and everything. That is leading the agenda every day. They're doing it in a much more immediate way, which I don't know if there's been a study done on how that's impacting audience attitudes to climate change in the global south. But, you know, that's a fascinating one. I mean, his point with all of this is there's no quick fixes. Mm. You know, if, you, if there was one message that kind of wraps up my whole chat 
was shortish. It was there's no quick fixes. Short termism is a problem in all of this. Mm. And that idea that you're, you know, caught we're in for a fortnight or a week or whatever it is, and then we're out again and we don't pay attention to the next call is exactly the same thing. Um, and and the, the way we do these things, the, the way we tell stories, you know, the, his point was the inverted pyramid, you know, idea of telling stories backwards makes no sense anymore. He actually says it's it's a function of the old way that we used to tell, you know, send telegrams. <laughs> Put the most important stuff in the beginning of the telegram because you didn't know if it was going to get through and it was expensive. It's expensive, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was, it was that side of things. It was a good, a good chat. But we also talked about the idea of inclusion. He does a lot of work on community journalism um, and the idea of inclusion and, you know, it's big. T- the big takeaway from that was, if you think you've you've solved the DE and I problem by hiring, um, you know, a, an intern, you know, who's a person of color <laughs> or, or you know, a marg- from a marginalized group, then you're bonkers. How, how yeah. can how can bringing someone in with absolutely no power as an intern solve that problem? Uh, and he quoted <laughs> Taika Waititi, uh, who was talking about Hollywood. Um, who said, you fucking broke it, you fix it. <laughs> he, he didn't swear, he was much more polite than I am. And it's that idea, you know, bringing an intel, well, bullshit. If you want to fix it, then recognise you've got a problem and do something about it, whether that is news avoidance, whether that is inclusion, whether that is the way you tell stories digitally, recognise the issues and then do something about it and be patient and put the work in. But it's it's more than just making the effort. It's, you know, in the short term it's tracking it tracking you know what changes are possible so i've been interviewing like a load of people about d and i lately not just in media but across marketing as well and the thing that they say it always falls down at the part where they report everybody just takes a note of that and then does nothing about it that's also that idea if you do if you always do what you've always done you're going to get what you always got Mm. whatever that pithy phrase is i just (laughs) (laughs) um yeah now again Great conversation, um, and um, this series is actually turning a proper privilege, to be honest. Nice. Real different points of view. We just want to take a moment to thank Glide Publishing Platform for the support for this episode for the entire series of Big Noises. So if you don't know Glide yet, it's a content management system for publishers, which means you don't need to get involved in the software having to spend time, money, resources, reinventing your CMS over and over and over again. Um, Anybody who's worked in media, or I'm sure anybody who's actually worked with any digital platforms at all, will know that actually iterating on a CMS over time just makes it a labyrinth of <laughs> of choices and shortcuts that are designed Chewing to do things string. exactly yeah and by the end it's all held together with that so if you want to check out glide who actually provide a solution to that you can go to gpp.io give them a check and thanks again to them for their support for this episode and for the entire series thank you but peter what did you begin by asking shirish and based on the previous episodes i think i know what it is but why don't you tear it up well, actually, it was a little bit different. I yeah. started by asking Shirish why people don't see value in news. Why they think, oh, this, this just isn't for me, so I'm not going anywhere near Yeah, so I think it's around that question of news avoidance, right? And the industry tends to blame the user and say, oh, they don't, they can't deal with the rawness of the news or they are just not interested. And all my research has shown that 
People are absolutely crying out for journalism to fulfill a sense-making role for them, to help them understand their place in the world and whether particular policies or particular events are a good or a bad thing for them, their communities, the wider world. And I think people look at the journalism which exists and say, oh, it doesn't really do that job. And so I'm not going to consume that. It's a rational decision not to consume a product which doesn't do the thing they want it to do. Yeah, I've heard you talk about the media is the only industry that thinks the customer is always wrong, as opposed to everyone else that thinks the customer is always right. What do you mean by that? Well, I tell a story around that, which is like, imagine you worked at Procter & Gamble or Unilever and you're selling soap powder and then people stop buying your soap powder a little bit. And then people really stop buying your soap powder. And then people stop believing in the concept of soap powder. And then imagine if you said, oh no, the product is amazing. We still make brilliant soap powder. It's just they don't really understand how great our soap powder is. What they need is a soap powder literacy campaign and that will solve the problem. And it's like, you and I would not work at Procter & Gamble or Unilever very long, but welcome to journalism because that's the approach we take. There can never be anything wrong with what we're doing. It's public interest journalism. Journalism is a good thing per se, but actually we're in a world that's moved on from that. And we actually need to do things which provide value to the users. You're talking about things like when we say, oh, news fatigue or, or people there's just been too much news or whatever is that that's the kind of thing that you mean yeah i mean there's a couple of things in that i mean a i think news is a hollow genre and the reason i say that is so philip pullman wrote an incredible book about storytelling called demon voices and he talks about how he never uses the present tense because it's like taking a vertical slice through a horizontal life. And what he means by that is like looking through those vertical blinds out at your window at the street in front of you, and you're just seeing a tiny slice. You don't see what's coming or what's been. And in a way, news does that. It takes a vertical slice through a horizontal life, and it doesn't put any of those developments, policies, events, in context, in the context of the systems in which they exist. And so it really doesn't help us understand stuff. And in a way, that's a function of the business model of newspapers, right? Because they couldn't do context because... They needed you to buy the paper off the newsstand tomorrow. So they wanted built-in obsolescence. They wanted to have new events. But I would argue there are very few new events that just happen out of the blue. They're largely a result of systems or change over time. I mean, climate change is the classic example of that. And it's why journalism has been really bad at covering climate change, because it's a big change which happens gradually over time. And the earth doesn't put out a press release saying, I'm going to burn in a ball of fire. <laughs> so we haven't got a press conference to go to. There's not a diary marker for, for that. I mean, it's why actually we see disproportionate coverage around COP because everything gets thrown at it. So news is the wrong thing. And I think, again, that, that kind of 
too much news, whatever. It's people not understanding what that news means to them. And in a way, there is too much news. So I'll give you an example. The top story on all the websites in Wales a couple of months ago was a crash on the M4 in which one person had died. That's what most journalists understand as news. But when you think about it, does that have value to anyone in the world? It's tragic, of course, but the people that need to know, relatives of the person, already know. No one else gets any value from that. It doesn't help us understand our world or our place in it at all, but it does make people feel like the world is a more dangerous place, perhaps, than it really is. Is that what you mean by sense-making? Like, you cannot make sense of that because it's just, it is what it is. Whereas climate change, you can offer something that might help me make sense of it. Yeah, 100%. It's like, yeah, what can you do to orientate me in the world? And I use that phrase orientation quite a lot. I just want to understand my place in the world. I'm using I because I'm a news avoider. You know, I, despite the fact that I've made things, lots of things for the six o'clock news, I don't watch the six o'clock news because I don't come away thinking I understand the world better as a result. Like I say, journalism does a thing, but it's not really sense-making. It's not the thing exactly. So I think helping to to make sense of the world is journalism's role and and historically was journalism's role and in a way it's the business model which has pushed us off in a different direction and that's a digital thing right it is a digital thing but it's also in a way a historic thing so i mean the programmatic advertising model doesn't work for for lots of reasons and even the people that do it know it's not working but really we fail to innovate on lots of different planes really i suppose yeah if you look at the digital storytelling where other people are talking about web three we haven't got to grips with web two in journalism we're still essentially putting newspaper articles on the web and calling that digital journalism and that can't be it you know the inverted pyramid style of article only exists because the technology the telegraph existed It was expensive, it was unreliable, so you put all the important information at the top. But just obviously, telling stories backwards, that's not how we understand stories. Funnily enough, fairy tales are sense-making. Fairy tales which start at the beginning and end at the end are actually how we teach our children to not go with strangers or to not do all those things. They're actually a sense-making role, an educational role. And actually, we could tell stories like that. I did some research for uh, an academic paper, which is now in like the top 10 most read articles in journalism practice, where we showed that the inverted pyramid didn't work, people didn't like it. But I just wrote, take away any formatting or any digital storytelling, I just wrote a plain text article which started at the beginning and ended at the end, and people loved it. So we could do that tomorrow and improve our kind of audience metrics straight away. Okay, so we could do that tomorrow. Why not? Why is it not being done? Why is people not doing this? I wish I had the answer to that, because for me, these are all kind of irrational choices that the industry is making, because there are, there are 
they were easy wins to be made, but there's a kind of inertia, a stasis, that's kind of central conservatism to the industry. And I think that's, in a way, that's a hangover of the golden age of newspapers when the business model did work and you could just go and play golf on a Friday afternoon um, and nothing bad happened. And we just thought in the same way as we, you know, we thought just being public interest journalism was enough to get people to engage with us. I think we thought that would carry on working forever. And now we don't know what to do. And it's like that thing of like, it's a panic now and no one knows what to do. So we jump at the next big thing and for a while the next big thing was facebook and we jumped to that and there's not but there's not really ever that strategic vision of what are we trying to do how do we get there and i suppose that's the thing that i think we should be thinking about what's the long-term view rather than the, the short-term view and how we incentivize that you know because that's how markets work right I, I interviewed Neil Thackeray at the beginning of this series and Neil talked about any publisher needs to know what's the problem they're solving for their audience. And it sounds like that's the same sort of thing that you're saying. 100%. I mean, in, in product design, people talk all the time about what are the audiences or the users' jobs to be done? What is the thing that's going to make their life easier, better, simpler? And we don't do that enough in journalism. What is the thing which is going to solve those jobs to be done for our user? And yeah, you've got to look at the problem and then work back from the problem to say, what are the activities I can do which are going to solve that problem? I've been talking to a lot of people about diversity and inclusion. And on the same thing, you know, people will jump at the next, the easy kind of shiny thing which largely is just diversity internships or stuff like that mm. and it's like that is not solving the problem you are trying to fix which is there's not a diversity of stories or whatever it's something that will look good in your annual report maybe but it doesn't solve the problem for the user the journalist or for your organization so it's that short-termist quick fix also kind of view because these problems have built up over 20 30 50 years we are not going to fix them overnight so we need to say actually here's the problem here's the solution here's how long it's going to take and we're going to commit to solving that problem do you think that that idea that it's not a quick fix is that part of the issue with all of this whether that's diversity inclusion or whether that's changing the way we tell stories or changing the business model is it just that short-termism 100%. I mean, you look at the programmatic advertising model and the terrible user experiences that throws up. It's like people aren't, you know, people aren't wearing it now. But they're certainly going to wear it for another five years or 10 years or, or whatever. So we know that's not going to work, but we don't know what to do. So we'll jump at, you know, Facebook or whatever. And so it's, it's having that long-term view. But I guess the problem is, you know, managers of news organizations don't have to care about that because they think i'll be out in five years or whatever look there are there are really good managers of news organizations as well but i think yeah having that long-term view and realizing there aren't quick fixes is really super important i mean people do it with community engagement as well as a particular thing yeah i've been in those news meetings as many of your 
listeners will have been when they say, we need to build trust with our audience. Yeah. Let's do that tomorrow. <laughs> and it's like, that's not how relationships work. You don't meet someone and marry them the next day, largely. Yeah, it takes time. And actually, it's about showing up for people. You show up tomorrow, you show up next week, you show up next month, you show up next year, frankly. And news organizations are quite unwilling to do that long-term work. Do you think the, the same approach to DNAI is a problem? Where So I've got a, a, a diversity intern and... I've ticked the box, we're done here. Is that the same thing? Yeah, it's really, all these questions have sort of the same answers, actually, which is, again, identifying what the problem is and thinking about what are the activities we can do to solve that problem. So if your problem is we don't tell enough diverse stories, we're not reaching vast sways of the audience, or we're marginalizing, misrepresenting, attacking them, harming them. Having a diversity internship, which is the kind of easy answer, is not fixing that problem. And frankly, I've been that person. I've been the only person of color in a newsroom. And it's a horrible experience because you're not empowered to bring diverse perspectives. You're not empowered to you don't feel comfortable to say what you really think or believe. And so no one wins from, from that. And actually you've created a miserable journalist largely is the only outcome of that. If you want more people in the pipeline, then you need to work with younger people, frankly, 10, 11, 12, to show them how journalism can be a positive force in their lives. And that means making sure that journalism is a positive force in their lives. If you want to tell different stories, then you need to look at your culture in your newsroom. There's been the Taika Waititi clip around this week about where he's on a diversity and inclusion panel. Says, it's not my problem to fix. It's your problem to fix. It's you made the problem. You need to fix this. Looking holistically at the culture and organization and thinking, is this a good place to work if you're a disabled journalist, if you're a trans journalist, if you're a woman journalist, yeah. frankly, you know, we're still in that world in 2023. Well, I think that idea that, well, we have a diversity problem. Let's bring in the most junior person in the organization and that will solve it. Yeah, I mean, it's ludicrous because they have none of the power. They have, they, they have a miserable experience. But also what organizations fail to is look at the journalists of color, the disabled journalists who already work in their organization or have left that organization. I'm one of those people that left a mainstream media organization when I was in sort of middle-ish management because it wasn't a safe space for me. Yeah, I was forced out of the industry, essentially, you know, and I thought, you know, I'll go and work in a supermarket if I have to. Yeah, that's, that's what the industry drives you. Too. And I don't think we should kind of gloss over that. And actually, some someone in management in all these organizations needs to take a very good hard look at themselves. I mean, in terms of bringing your whole self to, to work, you know, I've been in morning meetings where I've just brought up a story about or from Wales and seen the chorus of eye rolls go around the meeting room. And that's a management problem to fix, to say, 
actually, we ca cannot be acting like that. Yeah, and this is an organisation which are supposed to be serving whales. You know, it's ridiculous. And it's not just about race or gender. There's a class issue in it. There's what you're saying is, oh, that's not news. You know, the, the whole... If it doesn't bleed, it doesn't lead mm. kind of attitude. So fundamentally, there's a management change needed. Are you seeing that happen? I'm really not seeing that happening. There's a lot of very big, warm words. But I think there's a failure of people and organisations to engage substantively with the problem. And the reason for that is it takes work. And people want the work to be done for them by the diversity intern or by some kind of short-term programme. And actually, the work largely needs to be done by those people and they don't want to do it. And, you know, there's nothing I can do about that. We can keep making the case, but ultimately, if people want to take a long-term view, then work is going to have to be done which will, will need some change. Because the other thing is, people don't want change. And it's like, if you accept there's a problem, the only way you're going to fix that is by changing something. And that's the thing people don't want, which is sort of understandable at a human level, but ultimately is not going to get us out of this big old mess. Have you got examples of work that you've done? And I'm thinking particularly the People's Newsroom. Mm -hmm that sets out to change this in all these different levels that we've spoken about. So how does a project like the People's Newsroom or any other projects you're working on, how does it address this? Well, a couple of things on that. So the People's Newsroom, I think the interesting thing about that for me was the approach we took in terms of not setting any deliverables for them at the end. You know, we did some training with them. The interesting thing with that was we did systems thinking as the second module, because we wanted to show to them that journalism could be a positive force in their lives rather than a negative force in their lives. And it's taking that longitudinal look at the world. And the WhatsApp group for the for their cohort just lit up after that because suddenly they thought, oh, journalism could be a good thing. <laughs> I remember this is communities who's, who for them, journalism has largely been a bad thing in their lives. And because we didn't set, you say you have to write an article at the end or you have to do a podcast or whatever, people just thought, oh, I could do something with this. And they've just totally run with it independently. One of them's got a radio show. One of them's got a magazine. One of them's writing nonfiction essays. They're all doing their different things because what we want is a pluralism in storytelling. We don't want people all doing the same thing and largely doing the same thing based around a failed kind of model of the past. I didn't want to teach them how to write an article like you could put on the BBC News website. So that's one thing. The other thing I've done is I've set up a network in Wales called Inclusive Journalism Cymru, which is a network for people from marginalised communities or, and or identities. And we've got 200 members now in Wales. There wouldn't be many more than 200 journalists in Wales. Yeah. And that says a number of things to me. A, the reason we did it was because when I was coming up, I was the only journalist of colour in those newsrooms. I was pretty much alone. We don't want people to feel like that. We want to offer opportunities. We want to offer experience. But what it also shows the industry is the industry says, this is a pipeline problem. We can't employ these people because they don't exist. What that says is, 
we've got 200 members that say we do exist, but maybe your spaces are crappy spaces in which to work and maybe you need to do the work on them. So we have the evidence and now it's time for the industry to respond to that evidence and make a rational decision for once. What's the starting point for that? So we have listeners who are middle to senior managers in publishing companies and they're listening to this and they're thinking, oh shit, yeah. What, what's their starting point? I mean, the starting point, first of all, is to admit you've got a problem, right? It's like being a drug addict. I've got a problem, you know, and like, I need to have 12 steps, don't I, or something like that. But admitting there's a problem and then thinking, do I want to take this seriously or do I want to do the easy thing? Because the taking it seriously bit is hard. So it's just a commitment to culture change. And actually, that does need to come from the top because... That is setting the tone, right? So I think, you know, the message to those kind of middle and senior management is like, yeah, just to accept there's a problem. Think we need to do something around this and then make the change. I mean, what I get a bit concerned about is like at conferences, you will see panels which talk about the diversity dividend. Oh, you can make money from, you know, having greater diversity. Well, that is probably true. But if... We as an industry don't accept the fundamental argument that people are equal, then we're starting from the wrong point of view. And we need to accept that equality argument first and then move on from there. I spoke to Gary Reno at Project 23. I've spoken to him in the past. And Gary's thing was, yeah, there is a business benefit, but is that the only way you're going to do this? That's wrong. No, it can't be the only way. And unless you have that kind of authentic kind of belief yeah. that people are fundamentally equal, yeah, I mean, you, that's not going to be good. I wouldn't send anyone to work in that organization because, you know, that's, that's not going to work out. I mean, interestingly, with Inclusive Journals and Cymru, this network, people said to us at the beginning, you should have a job sport. People can, you know, advertise their jobs and, you know, you can have more to it. And I said, we're not going to do that because I've got no control over the experience of that job. And so I don't want to send people into traumatizing scenarios. And actually, right now, there's not an organization which I could 100% guarantee that you would have a good experience in. But our job now is to work at a systemic level with those organizations and say, we can help you get to that point when we can recommend people come and work for you. And that should be in general, I suppose, the aspiration, right? That people feel your organization is a safe space to work for. That is hopefully not too much to ask. Well, thanks so much to Shiris for taking part in this episode of Big Noises. And thanks also to Glide Publishing Platform for their support. As mentioned before, if you want to know what life without having to build your own CMS looks like, you can check out gpp.io. Next on Big Noises is Michelle Manafi. She's Editorial Director at Digital Content Next. Um, she also recently helped launch a local newspaper, but her real focus is digital media. Um, I, you know, one of the things that we're, we're kind of trying to get to is how come everyone from local papers to Disney is just dealing with the same kind of problems. And, you know, we talked about are they the same problems? And more importantly, what's the solutions? 
looking forward to that but for now thank you so much for listening to this episode of big noises from media voices um and goodbye goodbye goodbye